Before we get into God's word this morning, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Almighty God, we welcome you today. Thank you for moving in this place. Thank you for working in our hearts. Thank you for loving us beyond our own comprehension. We thank you that no matter what we face, we will overcome. Like Paul, we can declare that these temporary troubles cannot compare with our everlasting joy. Lord, I do ask that you would be with us today, that you would speak to us, that you would open our eyes to see from the scriptures, that you would help us to understand your word today, to apply it to our lives. I pray, Father God, that you will speak to us in a mighty way. Let it be your words that are spoken and not mine. Let me simply be a vessel for you to use this morning. Let our hearts be open to hear from you and let your word penetrate our lives, challenge and change us forever. Please speak to us, Father. We pray these things in your mighty name. Amen. If you got your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 is where we're going to be at today. Today we want to talk about this one thing. You know, oftentimes you'll hear people say, let the main thing be the main thing. And I think oftentimes we fail to recognize that in the Christian life there is something that God is calling us to do, that there is something that he wants to be the main thing of our lives. There's that one thing that if we could just settle down on, if if all things could just fold up into one little neat package, one little thing, we could see it right here in this scripture that there is one thing that God desires above all things. So when we think about that, there are actually a couple of the scriptures that kind of mention the mindset of having this one thing within our hearts and in our minds. In Psalm 27, 4, David writes this, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. What a thought. God, that one thing, that one thing that I'm pushing for, the one thing that I'm striving for above all things is to dwell with you forever and just behold your beauty. Wow, what a thing. What a way to state it. But he wasn't the only one that made a statement as such. Paul also in the book of Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13, Paul says this, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So if we could kind of narrow it down and just figure out what is that one thing that we as Christians should be striving for, that one thing that we should be reaching for, I believe it is that one thing that if we can attain it, if we come to a point where we are living in it, we're dwelling in this one thing, we will see revival happen. We've been talking about this series, Why Revival Tarries, and I believe it's because sometimes we forget the main thing as the main thing. And so today we're going to sit down, we're going to look at this passage in Luke chapter 10, and we're going to observe that there are several things that are being done, but there is one thing that Jesus says is necessary. So let's take a look at Luke chapter 10. And we're going to look at the importance of the one thing we need. We're going to read the whole passage beginning in verse 38 of Luke chapter 10. It says, Now it came to pass as they went 
that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Well, let's take a look at what this one thing could possibly be. First, we see in verse 38, hospitality. In verse 38, we see hospitality. Now, it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. Hospitality, this is something that in a lot of ways we have lost sight of. You know, now we don't mind having family over, but hospitality literally in the Greek language is to invite strangers over. Now, it's interesting, I read an article not too long ago that said, you know, used to, we used to be what they called front porch people. Did any of you guys ever used to sit out on your front porch? Anybody? And you'd wave at your neighbors and you'd talk to your neighbors. Well, now we've become back deck people, right? We were, we were front porchers, and we'd wave at all of our neighbors, and we'd talk to all of them. Then we went to the back deck where we could talk about them, right? Is that what we did? So we kind of changed gears. And, and the idea was not to be hospitable, to bring them in. But here the Bible says that Martha brought them into her house. Now, this was an entire gang of men. There was at least 13 men coming into her house at that time, and she's going to feed them and take care of them. She's going to be hospitable. Now, the idea of hospitality goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, and this is why it was important in biblical times to help take care of those that came to your house. In Genesis 18, beginning in verse 2, speaking of Abraham, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. And he said, My Lord, if now I've found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I'll fetch a morsel of bread and comfort ye your hearts. After that ye shall pass on, for therefore are you come to your servant. And they said, So do as thou hast said. Now, you think about it. Abraham has three guests that come to his house. Now, imagine if somebody came to your house unannounced. Knocked on your door. You'd go to them and you'd probably look at them like, I don't know who you are. I'm not opening my door for you, right? How many of you would do that? Or how many of you would think it was a Jehovah's Witness, right? Or, or you might think that they're coming to sell you something. And so you'd be afraid to go and answer the door. Or you might stand behind the door with it locked and you say, what do you want? And imagine if that person said, well, I'm kind of hungry. You'd probably direct them and say, well, there's a McDonald's down the street. You're welcome to go to it, but this is not an inn. This is not a place where we're going to take care of you. But these three visitors show up unannounced. They show up to Abraham, and what do they do? Abraham goes, hey, let me go get some water. Let me wash your feet. And then here, you rest under this tree. And then I'm going to go grab a morsel of bread, and I'm going to feed you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to help you as you're on your journey. Now, you see, the problem is today we like convenience. And so we say, you know, there's a convenience store just down the road or there's a gas station. You're welcome to go get some food down there. Or, you know, if you need to rest, you go park it in your car. You can sit outside my house or, you know, all kinds of different things like that. But how many of us would welcome them in? Hospitality was essential. You didn't just go to another city and stay in somebody's and stay in an inn. Because what? Because a lot of times they get robbed at inns. They weren't exactly the safest places. So when you went to another city, you hoped that somebody would allow you to lodge with them a complete stranger Martha was being hospitable 
In fact, when you think about Abraham's servant in Genesis chapter 24, what did Abraham's servant do? He went to go find a wife for the son, for Isaac. And he goes to this land and he meets Rebekah. And what does Rebekah do? Rebekah gives him something to drink. She gives the camel something to drink. And then she says, hey, why don't you come to my house and you can lodge there? That's hospitality. She was taking care of them. In fact, and and not to just think that it's something that's from the Old Testament, but we're actually told in the New Testament that we ought to be hospitable. When it comes to Romans chapter 12 and verse 13, it says this, distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. That's not the only scripture that mentions it. In the book of Hebrews, which is one of the ones that everybody turns to, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2, it says this, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. You never know who the guest is. You never know if God has sent one of his angels just to speak to you at that moment. And imagine if you turned them away, if you didn't help them out. You never know if that guy standing on the street corner is one of God's servants. You never know if he's one of God's ministers. You never know who that person is. The truth of the matter is, is we should be kind to all people, hospitable to all people, always willing to help out, because that's what Jesus did. He always took care of those in need. Now, here's the thing. Martha was very hospitable. She invited them into her house, and she was going to take care of them. So we see hospitality. Number two, we see devotion and love. Look at verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now, I want you to understand that this is strange in biblical times. You say, well, what do you mean it's strange? They did not teach women. They didn't do it. So Jesus was breaking all kinds of motives and all kinds of traditions at that moment when Mary sat there before his feet. He was the first liberator of women. Did you know that? The very first liberator. She sat there at his feet. She knew she wasn't in the right place. Could you imagine the other men around there? They probably were bumping each other going, what does she think she's doing at a men's Bible study? Right? Who does she think she is sitting in the front row? What does she think she's trying to do sitting right there? Who does she think she is? Now, I don't know that the men said that, but I can only assume because at that time, they weren't used to having women sitting at the feet of rabbis. Rabbis, they thought their time was so profitable and so worth every moment that the only ones they wanted to teach were those they believed could go out and teach. And so they would only teach men. Now, here's Mary. She's sitting at his feet. What is she doing? She is in love with her Savior. She's staring at him in admiration. She can't wait to hear what he has to say. She can't wait to not only hear what he has to say, she can't wait to go do what he says to do. Now, isn't it interesting? Because the Bible talks about that kind of love and devotion. When it tells us that we're not to be just hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. Now, I'm going to tell you, it's awesome when you see that take place. But unfortunately, it doesn't always happen, right? I know some of you, when you go to lunch today, you're not going to remember anything I said. You're not. You're not. You're, you're going to go out of here and you're going to go, what did he talk about this morning? You're, or you're going to ask your kids and your kids are going to know and you're going to be going, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's what I heard. Right? But you think about it. The idea is to hear the word of God and then go and do it. In fact, that's what we're called to do. We need to have ears that are open to the things of God. In fact, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul is talking to the church of Thessalonica there. And he says, man, he said, I'm glad that you received the word from me, not as my own word, but as the word of God. 
They understood. And here's the truth. We hope, I can't wait until this week to have those six men come in here and preach 12 sermons. I can't wait to hear them break the bread of God with us. And I know it's going to come from God. And I can't wait to hear their messages so that we can apply them to our lives and go out of here set on fire for God. I mean, it's going to be an amazing time. I mean, Thursday and Friday, I get to hear five sermons each day. I hope you do too. But the idea is to recognize that it comes from God, not those men. Not those men. Remember when I was first in ministry, the pastor told me when I first got started and he was, he was leaving. I was over the youth and the music and the education and he was leaving. And, and he come to me and he said, hey, he said, uh, I know that they're going to ask you to preach and he said, so if you want to, you can go in there and get any amount of sermons out of my file drawer. I did. I looked at him and I said, I think I'm good. I said, I'm not going to get my sermons from anybody else. I'm going to get them on my knees from the Lord. And it was amazing to me. I didn't realize how many pastors actually bought their sermons online or got them online. And I used to think to myself, how is that spirit field? You're just grabbing what somebody else has preached. And here's the thing. If it didn't work in their church, how's it going to work in yours? You ever thought about that? And how do you know that that's not what God wanted for that church, but not your church? The truth is, is you want to hear it from as the word of God. You want it to penetrate your heart and change your life. But you have to be willing to listen willing to hear because the truth is you can come in here and you could just be sitting there like a lump on a log like move me i dare you i dare you to share something that might change my life but the truth is is we need to come in hungry hungry for the word of god desperate to hear the word of god we need to be like the deer that panteth for the water brooks what So that every time we get to where we can drink from the Word of God, we soak it in. We desire it above all things, and we drink it in with a thirst that is unquenchable. Because we just want more, and we want more. Mary was that type of person. She sat there at the feet of Jesus. She was excited to hear what he had to say. She was ready to receive it, ready to go out and do it. She was excited, and there she sat. So we see hospitality we see devotion and love number three we see serving look at verse 40 but martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said lord dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone bid her therefore that she help me oh look at this word martha was cumbered she was hindered she was distracted can i tell you something in a church our size we need a lot of people serving don't we we have so many ministries going on nursery preschool, children, Awana, Sunday school, our deacons are serving. We've got all these things where we need people serving. But can I just tell you something? Man, if you keep drawing from a well that's dry because you're not being fed, you won't serve faithfully and you won't serve properly and you won't serve in a godly manner. Because the truth is, the only way you can serve is if your well is full. The only way you can keep digging in and keep serving is because you've been filled up. But oftentimes, we get like Martha. We become distracted and say, oh, well, I got to go do this, and I got to go do that, and I got to go do this. Could you imagine if somebody came to the Bible conference, and they had an opportunity to come in here and sit down, but then they decided, they said, oh, wait a minute, I saw that the bathroom was a little bit dirty. I need to go in there and clean the bathroom. And oh, wait a minute, I need to make sure that I go into the kitchen and make sure that everybody's got something to drink. And oh, 
oh, wait a minute, I need to make sure that the food is warm. And then I got to make sure that all the kids have proper teachers in their classes. And then I got to, and they're just running around the church like a chicken with their head cut off. And they never come into church. Man, you will empty yourself out to where you have nothing left to draw from. And that's what happened to Martha. She was distracted. Oh, I know so-and-so over here has got to have some water. i got to get him some water. Oh, wait a minute. I saw a little pile of dirt over here. Mary forgot to sweep up. Let me get that. Oh, I forgot that they're going to be staying the night, so i got to go over here and make this bed. Oh, i got to make sure there's no dishes in the dishwasher. i got to make sure that everything's cleaned up, right? And so we get distracted like that. And Martha was running all around the house, and she just got fed up. You ever seen those people that get fed up in church? They're sick and tired of working. Man, I'm the only one serving in this church. I'm the only one doing anything in this church. I wish them people would stop being pew warmers and work like me. Well, you sound like Martha. You do. I mean, you think about it. That's kind of, that's kind of the Elijah mandate. 1 Kings 19. God, I'm the only one serving you. Have you ever said that to God? God, don't you understand? I'm the only one doing anything in that church. I'm the only one working hard. And you know what God said to Elijah? Elijah, no, I got 7,000 that hadn't bowed the knee, brother. You may think you're alone. Satan wants you to think you're alone. Satan wants to distract you in such a way that you believe there ain't nobody like you, that you're the only one. Can I tell you something? There is somebody like you. In fact, there is somebody better than you. Get over yourself if you think you're number one. The truth is, is we got a lot of Marthas. We got a lot of people that will serve and serve and serve. But they've come to a point where they're drawing from a dry well and they have nothing left. I hear people say all the time, I don't want to burn out. Well, let me tell you, if you're in the Word of God, you're not going to burn out. It's just not going to happen. The problem is, is too many of you are worried about burning out. You're rusting out because you ain't got anything going in. The truth of the matter is the Bible says, look, he says, she was distracted. She was cumbered. She was hindered with much serving. Now get this, she was so frustrated, she comes to Jesus. And look at what she says, Lord, dost thou not care? I mean, this is a guy who finds blind people and makes them see. This is a guy who sees a lame man on the street and he makes him walk. And this is a guy who sees a funeral procession going by with a little boy in a casket. And he touches the casket and raises the boy back from the dead. This is a guy who cares above all care in all the world and loves everybody. And she's going to say, don't you care about me? How many of you have ever played that card with God before? Oh, God, do you see all that I'm going through? Don't you care? He's looking at you going, really? You ask that question, do I care? Did I send my son to die on the cross for your sins? Oh my goodness, if that's not caring, I don't know what is. Have I not given you everything that you have? If that's not caring, I don't know what is. I'm sorry you may be going through a little trial. I'm sorry you may be going through a little tribulation. But I promise you he's going to get you through in the end. God is going to take care of you. God is going to provide. God is going to watch over you. God is in control. Trust him. Be loving to him and devoted to him. And trust that he's going to bring you through. Don't be like a Martha and say, oh God, don't you care. Oh, but she goes even further than rebuking God. She goes to demanding him. Don't you care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And in other words, tell her to get up. Have you ever told God to do something? Man, I don't tell God to do anything. I don't have a right to tell God to do. I will ask God to do something, but I'm not going to tell 
God to do something. Why? Because he's master, I'm not. He's Lord, I'm not. I'm his servant, I'm here to do his bidding, not he do mine. You see, that's the problem. A lot of us, when we get into our prayer lives, we become like Martha's. We think that God is supposed to change his mind for our sake. When in truth, when we pray, God is wanting to change your mind to his will. That's what prayer is about. Changing you, not changing him. He has no need to change. None. She comes and she's demanding, tell her to help. Well, let's get to the reason. Let's get to the lesson. Look at verse 41. I love it. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, there are, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. In America, I mean, he's sitting there and he's teaching. She comes up to him and she starts rebuking and demanding. You would think he'd have got up and go, woman, get back in the kitchen. I know I didn't hear an amen on that one. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That, he's sleeping on the couch tonight. <laughs> you think about it. I mean, he didn't do that. He wasn't ugly. He wasn't mean. He wasn't hurtful. He wasn't hateful. He just did what? He looked at her in loving and peaceful manner. He goes, Martha, Martha. He was trying to be gentle to her. Isn't it amazing that you might get upset with God and you might even yell at God sometimes and you might even demand things from God and yet he still looks down at you. And he looks down at me and he goes, John, John, you're worried about many things. Oh yeah, but I need that, don't you? The fact that he cares that he even knows your name ought to be amazing. He says, thou art careful and troubled about many things but one thing is needful the new king james says but one thing is needed the new living translation says there's only one thing worth being concerned about the new american standard says but one only one thing is necessary do you get the point the point is there's just this one thing if you, if you want to just nail it down to one thing right here it is we're gonna we're gonna just lay it out here at the feet there's one thing that is necessary and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Love and devotion. Love and devotion. God desires, I mean, we, we should desire to want to just sit at his feet. Could you imagine what that's like? I mean, I, I'm excited about this week coming in and getting to listen to these six men preach. But if we had Jesus come in here. How many of you drop everything you were doing and get here? Whew, I hope you would. Man, I just think about this. I'd try to be like Mary. I'd be pro probably scooting her over so I'd get a little closer to Jesus, you know? I want to get in there. I want to hear everything he's got to say. In fact, I'd make sure that I was fully caffeinated to listen. How about you? I'd want to make certain that my ears were tuned on. I wanted to make sure that I'm listening, that I'm just as clear as I can be. I want to make sure that I get every last drop I can get. I might even have my phone out to record everything that he's saying so I could go back and listen to it a little bit later to make sure that I got the point, to make sure I didn't hear what I wanted to hear, but to make sure I hear what he said. Man, she was sitting there and she was just diving into everything he said. Here's what we got to realize. God has invited us to the banquet table. He wants to come in. 
You realize that that Revelation 3.20 passage, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And he who opens the door, I'll come into him and I'll dine with him. Do you realize that's the church? God wants to come in and set up a banquet table in the church. And he wants us to feast with him. But here's the problem. Let me tell you what our problem is. We're like teenagers with dinner. You know what I'm talking about. If you got a teenager, you know exactly what I'm talking about when it comes to dinner time. Man, when it comes to dinner time and you tell them it's time to eat, they're the last one to the table, aren't they? They got to finish what they're doing at that moment. If it's playing a video game, they got to get to a save point, which somehow seems to be maybe an hour away or something, you know? Or they might be on their phone. They got to finish a phone conversation. Or they got they're finishing their TikTok where they're dancing to, and they're doing all these other things. And they're just they they got they're in a rush. And so then they they'll come down the steps real fast, and they'll get down at the table, and they'll be like, "Okay, somebody pray." And what they want you to do is go, "Bless the food, Amen. Let's eat." And it right, and then they gobble it up real quick, and boom, they're back upstairs in their table at their house in the room where they want to be, away from everybody but just themselves. And us, we come into church a lot of times, and we're like, we come in and we sit down on our pew, and we'll sing a few songs, and then we'll sit down while the preaching's going on. We're going, come on, getting close to lunchtime, hurry it up. I want a mixed sermon. Give me some mixed points. Let's get moving. Let's go. Let's carry on. I'm ready to go. But here's the problem. Man, we are just rushing God, and we want to see God move so quickly. And we're like, man, if I heard one person say one time, if God don't move in the first 15 minutes, he just ain't moving. Whew. Whew. I'm just getting warmed up at 15 minutes. Come on. You know? But we're in a rush. Not only are we in a rush, but sometimes we don't even eat right. You know, those kids will come down. They'll sit down and look at what you got fixed for dinner, and they'll do what? That ain't what I wanted. Right? And, and you're sitting there, and you're looking at it, and you're going, dude, this is a smorgasbord. This is, man, if my mama would have made this, I'd have chowed down like crazy. And they're looking at it like, it's not what I want to eat. You know, and then they go start looking through the pantry, and then they look at the pantry, and there's a whole cupboard full of food, and they go, man, there ain't nothing to eat in this house. You know? And many people come into church just like that. They'll come in here and they'll go, well, I hope you got some, a good meal today. I hope you got a good message for us. And we sit down and we're ready to eat. And then what happens? We sit there and we go, well, that wasn't what I want to hear today, preacher. I didn't like that message. And so you'll go home and you'll have fried preacher for lunch, right? And so you'll sit there and you'll be like, well, that's not what I wanted to hear today. Or you might sit there and hear, and here's the problem. We'll eat. We want the junk food. We want the quick stuff. We want, we want them to hit the points and move on, Right? Man, but he says to Mary, he said, she's chosen that one thing that's needful. She was, she was there ready to eat. The problem is, is today in church, we're satisfied with the crumbs when we got the bread of life. We're satisfied with what falls off the table as opposed to trying to eat at the table with Jesus. And the truth is, is we should be so excited that we get to come into church. And we should be so excited that we get to be a part of opening up the word of God and delving into the bread of life so that we might grow and get closer to the Lord with one another. Man, church ought to be a joyous time because we realize this. We realize that man doesn't live by bread alone, but he lives upon every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And Man, when we get a chance to dive into God's word, we ought to soak it up every opportunity we get. Because there is nothing like reading this book. There is nothing like studying God's word. There is nothing like being fed from the word of God. And I'm going to tell you, it's the most filling meal you'll have all week if you're ready to eat. Man, don't be like teenagers be adults, be mature, be grown up, be excited about feasting in the Word of God. Are you doing the one thing that is needful? Are you doing the one thing that is necessary? 
Are you satisfied with sitting at the feet of the master? Are you soaking it in? You know, one of the most amazing things that was so exciting to me was when we talked about reading through the Bible together as a church. And I put out the reading through the Bible sheets. And we put out 200 to start with, and they were gone like that. And I was like, really? So we put out another 100, and then they were gone. And we put out some more, and most of those are gone. I thought, wow, man, if that's true, if there's over 300 people in the church reading through the Bible together, how awesome is that? And then somebody goes, you know what? We need to set up a Facebook page on reading through the Bible. And so there's like 100 people involved in that page. And what's cool is to watch people. They're asking questions as they go through the reading. They're saying, hey, I didn't understand something. Can somebody help me out with this? And then people will be able to respond and share what they learned from the Scripture that day. And, man, when you see people excited about getting into the Word of God, because you realize that, guess what? You don't need to just eat on Sunday, and you don't need to just eat on Wednesday. You need to be eating from the bread of life every single day of your life. Man, if we get that hunger and that passion for God, we will change our community. I promise you. And we will change the world. Are you doing the one thing that is needful? Are you willing to give up everything else in your day to make certain you spend time with God? Are you willing to make certain that you don't forget to eat from the Word of God every day? Because I promise you, it will be the most filling part of your day. We need to consume the word of God. As the deer panteth for the water brook, so my soul panteth after you, O God.